HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This week on Meet and 3, we're exploring the culinary wonders of urban New Jersey with a tour through Newark. We speak to Frank Mentesana at Phillips Academy Public Charter School. This idea of family style and made from scratch lunches continues to be a bit of an anomaly in the city. We also hear from Gil Speyer from All Points West Distillery. Newark used to have an incredibly rich beverage alcohol history. And we'll tour Aero Farms, the world's largest indoor vertical farm. We're growing using 390 times more productivity than field farming and 95% less water. Tune in to this week's Meet and 3 on Heritage Radio Network to be amazed at the wonders of Newark. That's meet plus sign T-H-R-E-E. Available wherever you listen to podcasts. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The Welcome back to the Speakeasy. I'm Souther Teague. My co-host Damon Bolte is, well, I don't know where he is these days. Where in the world is Damon Bolte? Gallivanting, probably. Yeah, he's always gallivanting, uh, spreading the good word and the good vibes of Brooklyn Gin all over the country. So he's out and about doing his thing. Um, I got a couple things I want to kick the show off by mentioning, and then we'll get right into what we've got in the studio today. Um, Bar Methods uh, is coming up uh, in August. It's a, a three-day uh, clinic of intensive uh, 101 classes for for someone uh, for people out there who want to get uh, uh, you know basic uh, uh, bar training. I've been involved with the program for the past three years. It's really cool. I teach a 90-minute class on stirring, uh, and I don't feel like I've got enough time, frankly. <laughs> I, would li- I would like it to be a two-hour class. Um, but it's it's brass tax basics. It's a very cool program. Uh, sponsorship pays for most of it, so it's a $200 fee. You get to uh, stay in the Park South Hotel uh, for th- uh, for two nights and three days, and you get totally taken care of. You got uh, seminars all day, plus then you got uh, lunches, dinners, uh, and parties to to attend. It's really a great time and a very intensive. And if you think it's too basic for you, uh, most uh, I would say half half of the guests at the at this past year's uh, bar methods were um, bar management coming in to learn how to teach their new employees. 
So it's a great it's great for kind of any level. Uh, that's the beautiful gift of management is you kind of get to that point, you see everything and you realize how much you don't know. Well, just how, <laughs> maybe how much you don't know how to convey that information. Exactly, yeah. Right, right. Um, <clears throat> so bar methods. Uh, another thing I want to uh, – so you can go to barmethods.com to check that out. And, uh, um, applications are still available. It's a, it's a small class every year. It's only 50 people. Uh, they split it into two and, and, you, and you go through the same track just at different times. It's really rad. Uh, so barmethods.com, you can check that out. Um, also want to continue to mention our dear friend Chris Reed from Bargoto um, is battling, uh, um, you know, ALS di- diagnosis. Uh, it's uh, slowly robbing of robbing him of his ability to do his job. Soon he won't be able to work anymore. Um, and uh, and so we've created GoFundMe for him. So go to GoFundMe, search for Christopher Reed of Bargoto, uh, and donate anything you can to Chris because the next couple of years of his life are not going to be uh, pleasant or inexpensive. So if we can help him out in any way we can, comrade in arms who's been diagnosed with some tricky, horrible, fucked up disease that, that no one can seem to figure out how to cure. Uh, so there's the down note. Sorry about that. Let's get back into the up notes. Um, today in the studio, we've got uh, Jessica um, Graves. Um, Jessica Lee, not Lay, is what she said in her bio to me. Because <laughs> it's spelled kind of like it could be both. Um, Austin, Texas native, freelance American sign language interpreter. That's pretty rad. Award-winning songwriter, multi-instrumentalist, and booty shaker turned distillery owner, making her first, a- making the first absinthe in the Lone Star State. You're creating an absinthe down in Texas, yeah? Yeah, well, um, so I got convinced to start an absinthe distillery with my two partners, uh, Matthew Mancuso and Chris McLaughlin. Um, when they originally proposed the idea, uh, I just thought, well, that's nice, honey, because <laughs> I already had a band and I taught music and I freelance interpret and I go all over the place doing that. And I, you know, I'm the sole proprietor of two businesses and I didn't need another one. And I didn't really care for absinthe at the time. So, uh, I then, um, you know, once, once we'd, uh, so Mancuso is also my sweetheart. And, uh, once we'd been together for like a year and a half and it was like, Oh, clearly this is serious like we're, we're in it to win it so um he kept saying but i really want to do that absinthe distillery and i was like uh, but 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 why oh, 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 fine and then next thing i know they've gone they went to costco and got um it's so costco. many yeah, where you go buy distillery supplies so, so they went and in bought bulk. enough uh enough box wine to the run through the little 15 gallon still and, and like they they bought so much that costco made them sign a thing saying that they weren't going to resell it and they're like, no it's for a party <laughs> um and uh and they actually made the stuff and then i tasted it and uh i had i realized that i'd only ever had like bad experiences with absinthe or like stuff that wasn't really very good uh, I think somebody had served it to me like undiluted and I had just been like recoiled in horror and, and thought, no, nope, that's not for me. Uh, and then, <clears throat> you know, I tasted it. I was like, oh, is that what it's supposed to taste like? Right. Uh, oh, so- oh, okay. And I didn't really care for it yet, but I could recognize how high quality it is. My, uh, Mancuso is a, a microbiologist mm-hmm. and he'd actually been developing his recipe for about five years. He started with a uh, laboratory still and uh, was recreating old recipes. He found things from... <clears throat> excuse me, the um, like Culpepper guides from the 1600s. And uh, I think the, the most recent recipe that he recreated in his research was like 1847, mm-hmm. uh, which coincidentally is the same year that the sugar cube was invented. Um, <laughs> but uh, the, uh, you know, he, he sort of figured out what he liked and didn't like and had honed in this. He'd had that recipe for years by the time I came along. And uh, so on, on my business card and my email signature, it says co-owner and brand evangelist because there's no zealot like a convert. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. Um, uh, 
quick mention that, of course, uh, my buddy Greg Benson's in the room as well. Greg's got, a, got his own podcast you should go check out. It's called Bar None. It's fantastic. It's, oh, thanks, guys. It's really rad. Um, so Greg's going to be chiming in as we go along here. Um, Jessica, so... So your sweetheart wooed you into the notion of drinking absinthe, but what were you doing before that? Like, you, know, you don't just decide, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna open a distillery and I'm gonna sell something pretty obscure and difficult and something that's, you know, that, that people don't know or understand. I mean, that's that sounds like opening up an all tomorrow bar. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of psycho would do that, right? Yeah, whenever just people talk about how road. <laughs> yeah, people do want to talk about opening a distillery. I'm like, don't do it. Um, and like we, we uh, <laughs> right? That's a distillery of any kind, much less one that's making a product that's that you drink in small quantities. You know, it's, it's like my friends who make bitters. I'm like, you know, you're making a product that you sell by the drop. It's a terrible like, idea. Make <laughs> something that you can sell by the pint glass. I know. I know. We're we're we're. It takes a certain kind of um, like hubris mixed with like naivete and just like uh, just dumb faith to like go forth and do this thing. But um, you know, we we took a, a bottle. Uh, like a little sample to a party not long after he made that um, uh, uh, that first batch that I tasted and um, we it was like my friend's uh, birthday but like she was hosting uh, it was hosted at her friend's house and and I didn't know that guy but he worked for this um, he still does works for a a company called Twin Liquors which is a, a major chain in Texas and um, he's like a sommelier and, uh, you know, manages these stores and really knows his stuff. And, um, initially when we said we had homemade Hamson, he was like, um, I'm going to stick with my beer. Thanks. But we poured some for some other folks and eventually like they were like smoking on the patio and somebody's like, no, but really you have to taste this. And we're sitting in the kitchen unaware when he just comes barging back into the room and he's like, you made this. I need a bottle of this every 30 days for the rest of my life. Uh, All right, customer one number one. Yeah, and uh, and he still hasn't picked up the bottle that I promised him after. Like I I contacted him like two years later when we find because he was like, "You got labels? You got bottles?" And I was like, "Uh, "No, (laughs) not yet." But that was like the first thing where it was like, you know, it's one thing when your friends are like, "That's really cool, guys," and it's another thing when somebody who doesn't know you from Adam is like, "Hey." I'm, uh, I, I have uh, an educated opinion about this and it's very strongly in support of what you're doing. And, and so even, even though it's like, uh, it doesn't work on paper and is kind of an idiot thing to do, um, all along the way when we've checked in aside with the guy who we, um, we, uh, we had a consultation with a score mentor, the service corps of retired executives, this guy who's also in manufacturing, but nowhere near the booze business. So he doesn't really get a lot of the weird loopholes and restrictions and things that we have to deal with. And, um, and he was like, this is a terrible idea. You've got, you guys have really screwed the pooch here. And I was like, no, but it's fine though. <laughs> It'll be great. I swear. <laughs> so, you know, it's, uh, um, you know, we, we also like, you know, as any good distillery would, you wouldn't just make absinthe. We you know, started the line of liqueurs cause we saw some like gaps to fill and, um, and, uh, I'm really excited about the new Amaro. Yeah. We're going to talk about that a bit later, but I want to keep talking about the, Violet Crown Spirits Emerald Absinthe. Clock's in at 70%, so 140 proof. And that's what I was talking about. Again, this is something you drink in small quantities because yeah. it's so potent. Yeah. It's a it's like a concentrate, you know, that's like three bottles worth of stuff. Exactly. <laughs> and you're that and you and I'm sure the government taxes you thus, yeah. Uh, yeah, they sure do. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh yeah, it's proof ounces that get taxed and it's at, at 140 proof. I'm sure you're getting raked over the coals. Um uh, but I feel like that's also an inherent problem that absinthe has always had. Uh, not you know, not to mention all the myth and lore and stuff that we'll probably get into. But 
the fact that it's so high proof, you're not meant to drink it as is. You're meant to dilute it quite a bit, typically with just water. Yeah. Uh, ice cold water, possibly with a sugar cube, as you sort of alluded to before. But I think that's the more coarse absinthe from places like the Czech Republic. Yeah. Well, like the the sugar cube was sort of the sliced bread of its time, and like it was a marvel. And like people, you know, having a single use, like not having to take your lumps, and like the the guy who invented it, his wife, um, had like like cut herself with the pliers that you had to use. It was like Poloncio cones of sugar mm-hmm, yep. and, and, and she injured herself and was like, why doesn't this come in a more useful package? And so he being an inventor went and figured out how to make it into little cubes and wrap it up in paper. Um, the secret so- is glue. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. Um, so um, yeah, so I don't, I don't take coffee and uh, I don't take sugar in my coffee. So I, I don't really care for it. And, and anise is 50 times sweeter than sugar. Yeah. Um, so like for, it for- always struck me as odd. That, that absinthe would have sugar added, given that it's so sweet already. But it was like this sort of conspicuous consumption thing, like like the the proverbial silver spoon. Sure. These like hand blown glass fountains with you know silver spigots and stuff. Like these these things were like that. That was basically the, so that the the that the the bourgeois and their betters could distinguish themselves from the unwashed masses who had all you know jumped on the absinthe train. They were like, oh no, we are not like them. We do this fancy thing. Our but, sugar comes in cubes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean, like in, plus it, then of course the the beautiful and ornate and and typically somewhat expensive absinthe spoon, which you rest the sugar cube on. And yeah, exactly, exactly. A lot, it's, of pomp, it's, a lot of pomp and circumstance surrounding this particular spirit. Yeah, tea it's like, service. It's, yeah, so tea, yeah, I was just going to say that tea, like, um, you know, we now drink it out of, like, steel canteens and don't think anything of it, but, like, uh, tea with lemon and ice, you know, it was carved out of a glacier and rode down on a... a a barge and like like drinking iced tea outside in the south in the 1800s was like that's look how rich i am yeah because everything was imported everything was very expensive that was like i'm i'm baller right i can i can crush this seemingly simple thing it costs a lot of money mm-hmm. uh yeah the thousand pound block of ice was brought down just so i'd have one cube in my glass right <laughs> exactly and, right. and uh, several men died <laughs> right to bring chiseling ice out of a frozen lake yeah but like the most traditional way to drink absinthe is just just add water just add water and how much do you recommend that someone adds is, i mean it's obviously to taste but is there is there a guideline well so the um so for in in particular our product um we we have 13 herbs and spices um which is more than most most absinths have like 5 to 7 herbs um for every 55 gallons of of our alcohol we have 80 pounds of herbs uh, uh 60 in the pre distillate and uh, 20 pounds in the afterwards that gives the the color and, and, and additional flavors um, and it's the alcohol in high proof absorbs the the oils it's in solution in the high proof. alcohol Al- is a solvent kids <laughs> so, and a real good one frankly yes <laughs> it's, it's a solution it is not the problem it is so when you add uh, cold water it forces the you know the, the lower proof and the you know oil and water don't mix right it emulsifies those oils so it's like not going to taste like it's supposed to until it's got water in it to to open it's you know opening the bouquet but um the the amount that you do like the 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 slower you can administer the the water that's why those drip fountains are so nice um but like even if it's just cold water that you just pour in and maybe like agitate it a little bit like a little bit even if it's sitting still it will louche a little more louche is the the french word for the cloudiness that results from adding water to absinthe right so um they uh you know takes about usually two to one water to absinthe before it actually turns completely cloudy. Um, and if you do it really slowly, you can see like the different um, like points at which more oils unfold. It's like, like, like the Guinness 
cascade, you know, it's yeah, like you watch the sort uh, the, the poets called it opaline. It's so pretty. Um, and so like at some point, like, like the last, you know, few, uh, milliliters you'll see like like a little band at the top and then eventually you get a few more drops in and then it's completely loose from from bottom to top and then you, then it's like that's the least that you sh- should put in it like there's a minimum you should do but then i usually dil- dilute mine like six or eight parts water to and yeah. i usually do actually um, topo chico i like a half an ounce of absinthe in a rocks glass um with topo chico yeah i'm i'm definitely a higher dilute absinthe drinker uh once you get to a certain Dilution level passed, I think, four or five times to one. Uh, it just becomes quaffable and refreshing and delicious. Yeah. And it makes me want to do what and you just said. And much ABV. Yeah, of course. <laughs> but also it makes me want to do it, like you just said, like on a hot summer day in oh, the south. Yeah. Oh. Right? Uh, you know, smells sorghum and sweetgrass in the background while I'm sipping on a long glass of absinthe and water. Yeah, exactly. I, I like serving them long for sure. And and because Texas is hot, it's like, that's, the, you know, I, it's a cooling drink. I, when people have described absinthe as being like a winter cocktail thing, I'm like, mm. No. <laughs> it's, I mean, for all seasons, really. Uh, anything <laughs> is, anything is, you know. Uh, uh, not too long ago, we had uh, Jeff Bell on the show talking about his uh, new brandy, Bertu. And, and Jeff said, you know, all, everyone kept coming to him and saying, well, now you've got this product that you can only sell in the fall and winter. And he was like, do you not have bourbon on your menu in the summer? It's a summer and a winter drink, so, so is this. Mm-hmm. Right? So, like, yeah, spirits have no season. Right. In fact, they were made because they were trying to fight the season's the loss of the herbs. Right. Yeah. You had to, you had all these herbs and stuff laying around. You didn't want to lose them, so you start soaking them in booze or making things like you know fortified wines or or possibly amaro, and then of course absinthe comes along. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, we should take a break already. That was a fast, quick, uh, uh, super fast first uh, segment. Um, we're going to take a break, hear from our sponsors, and we're going to come right back and keep talking about Violet Crown Spirits and why exactly you call it Violet Crown. That's yeah, you're right. Pretty, it's got a pretty cool story. We'll be right back. You're listening to The Speakeasy on Heritage Radio Network. Right now I'm with Bernie Lubbers, Global Brand Ambassador for Heaven Hill Distilleries. Bernie, tell me about Elijah Craig. Well, Elijah Craig is an interesting story because he was a Baptist minister from Eastern Virginia, and he moves out to Western Virginia, and uh, he's arrested for illegal preaching twice. This is before we're, we're, you know, before we had a constitution, before we had such things as the First Amendment, which you cannot get arrested for that anymore. So this is before that. And he comes out and he helps found this, the city of Georgetown, which now is Georgetown, Kentucky. We became a state in 1792. And then he was also uh, helped found a college, which is still there today, Georgetown College. He is a distiller, and he is making whiskey. He's right there on the Kentucky River. And, uh, you know, he's a frugal guy. He's a minister. You know, he's just, just trying to make a living, trying to scratch by. And he had, I don't know what he was smoking in his barn, but he had a little barn fire, right? And he had some barrels that were he was waiting to fill to send down the Kentucky River into the Ohio, down to Mississippi, into the New Orleans. And uh, But it was still watertight. He, he was just damaged the barrels a little bit, but they were still watertight. He could use them. So uh, he filled those barrels anyway. And uh, as they made the nine, ten-month trip down to New Orleans, that charred inside of those barrels, that charred where it was caught on fire, uh, added color and flavor to the barrels. And there is one story out of how barrels became charred. And I only know four, but he's one of them, and he's a part of our lineup. And so we, we, we herald him with his own name on a bourbon. 
happy accidents, delicious whiskeys. Synergist, you know, synergy works. You know, it's like we, it's, the way we do everything great in Kentucky, it's by mistake. Are you enjoying this podcast? Heritage Radio has plenty more. Hi, I'm Harry Rosenblum, and I'm the host of Feast Your Ears here on HRN. My show explores the world of food through storytelling. Every week, I talk with people inside and outside the food world about how experience has shaped what they eat and cook. You can find Feast Your Ears wherever you listen to podcasts and on heritageradionetwork.org. Welcome back to the Speakeasy. Um, I'm sitting here in the studio with uh, Jessica from Violet Crown Spirits and my good friend Greg Benson from uh, Bar None Podcast. Howdy. Um, Really cool to hear from Bernie just now because, uh, as I mentioned off the air while he was talking, uh, Heaven Hill Distillery's Henry McKenna Bourbon took best uh, whiskey at the San Francisco Wine and Spirits event this year, which is in its 19-year history. It's only the second time that a bourbon has taken the best category. Pretty rad. Pretty rad. Oh, that's actual go applause. USA. <laughs> wow. Yeah, go American whiskey. Um, Greg, what do you got coming up? I know you got something going on uh, in April for uh, for the bar. What are, you, what are you doing over there? I do. So at uh, my spot, which is the Rochard on uh, 97th and Lex on the Upper East Side, we're doing April Sours on April 1st. So uh, when it rains, we pour. Hashtag when it rains, we pour. Yeah, nice. right. uh, <laughs> April Sours. Uh, Going to have about 12 different sours on draft, maybe a couple more. Uh, from all over the world, some really cool stuff uh, from across New York City, too. And it's sponsored by uh, Duchesse de Bourgogne, which is, to the extent that there are famous Flemish Red Sours, this is the famous Flemish Red Sour. So uh, yeah. going to be a really cool event. Um, come by if you like sour beers or just having fun. The Rochard. The oh, Rochard. Like Richard, but with an O. Yeah, love it. Uh, Cool. Jessica, we've been talking about absinthe. There's some on the table. Should we drink some? Um, always. Um. Why don't we? Why don't I pour us just a little bit in those glasses over there while you tell me why you chose to call your place, uh, your, your business, your distillery, Violet Crown Spirits. What's right that all about? So um, in ancient poetry, the city of Athens is the city of the Violet Crown. Um, the, the ancient geeks, they, they, they liked this... this um, atmospheric event that happens that they're you know a, a city on a hill uh which is made of limestone and so this fine dust gets in the air and catches that last wavelength of light as the sun sets and so like you know looking looking down to the horizon from the city on the hill you'd see this band of violet at, at uh sunset and they call that the violet crown and when the university of texas came to to austin uh we fancied ourselves the the athens of the south and uh took the the city nickname <laughs> Lottie Duck. Uh, oh yes yes um and uh so o henry who lived in austin for a time i i go every year to the the o henry pun off at his historic home downtown. That's a thing. Oh, it's a thing. Yeah, I remember you telling me this when I met you. Oh, it's so the good. The pun off. It's so good. Which probably just fiercely angered me because I hate <laughs> I hate puns so bad. But yeah, you should not come to but that. But Damon Bolte, who's my dear friend and co-host of the show, uh, he loves a good pun. Hey, Damon, come down to Austin. And come. It's in, it's a, it's in every year in May, right around my birthday, and I'm it's like my favorite thing in the world. But um, he hey, wrote it's a, a nice motorcycle ride from California. <laughs> hey, <Damon. laughs> so yeah, we uh, um, uh, there's a short story that that uh, O. Henry wrote where he's describing people arriving at a party in the in the city of the Violet Crown, and it's like Austin was a new city, and he was sort of being like, "Oh, you fancy, huh?" Um, and I like that sort of tongue-in-cheek uh, uh, aspect of it. And so when we were developing the brand, we, you know, we wanted to say Texas without saying like, Texas. And um, I mean, we, we are a go Texan yeah, cause, product. Because the, the first thing I think of when I hear the word absinthe is 
Texas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Like like I said, it takes a certain amount of um, uh, of, of idiot to, <laughs> to go forth with this. When when people taste it and then they like it, I'm like, don't act so surprised. <laughs> well, I will say when I when I met you, I knew you were from Texas, and I realized until until you and I were hanging out and, and when you got to New York this weekend that I just sort of assumed Austin without actually knowing for a fact. I was like, <laughs> I hope I wasn't like, you know, being statist. And it's like, no, it's from Dallas. Dallas can be weird too, guys. <laughs> I mean, I don't think Austin has the monopoly on weirdness, but, um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it uh, one of my, oldest friends uh who's hasn't lived in texas for a really long time he's like i just love that you're doing like the most austin thing ever <laughs> i'm like is it really i guess it is it's it's kind of weird um oh that smells so good yeah so i was about to say the studio is tiny as everybody knows that listens to the show um we're inside of a, a you know a, a shipping container um and even the second while you were telling that story when i cracked open the bottle the room immediately smelled of herbs and then when i was pouring it into these three glasses wow the, the bouquet just opens up like crazy mm-hmm. talk about what's in the bottle um, so we, we have a grape spirit base. Um, we get, uh, our little operation is not a whole lot bigger than these, um, shipping containers. I mean, a slightly bigger than that. It's a, like a 1500 square foot warehouse space with a 400 square foot of that being dedicated to the office, which we just, we just, um, fancied up into uh, like a proper bar looking space instead of a schlubby office full of free couches. Um, and, uh, so we don't have like even a mop drain on the floor. Um, and we don't have like a tall enough column to really get, really clean spirit. Like we couldn't make a vodka. Um, so like we, we just don't have the capacity to do like we wanted to partner with a local winery and perhaps when we can sort of graduate to a bigger space, we'll do that. But in the meantime, um, we're getting 170 proof grape spirit from California and you know, what would normally be used for fortification or whatever we're taking and putting into a, a tank with a giant tea bag full of herbs and, uh, letting that steep. So, so it comes to us already with the, the first distillation done. And then we do the second distillation, um, and I love when people come to the place and they like smell the pre-distillate after it's soaked with all those bitter, nasty, like there's a lot of bitter and nasty that gets left in the kettle of the still. Right. And, uh, and like the difference between like wormwood before distillation and after distillation in alcohol is like, a you know, night and day. Um, uh, and like the, you know, the herbs even like, um, zipped up in, um, uh, uh, sealed bags and stuff and stored in the place. Like you walk in and you can like our trash smells amazing after we've done a run. (laughs) Right. Uh, and, uh, and I, you know, it's just like, uh, a million things The the 13 herbs and spices, right? So the, the, the Holy Trinity is, uh, wormwood, fennel, and anise. And we have uh, two wormwoods, the grand, the Artemisia absinthia and the grand wormwood and the Roman wormwood, Artemisia pontica. Uh, we use aniseed. And, and the lady on the label is the goddess of Artemisia, right? Yeah, the goddess Artemis, um, uh, goddess of the hunt. And also, I don't know, there's, there's like the Victorians really did some weird shit to the ancient Greek myths or whatever, but um, she's typically depicted as a hunter. Um, you know, she's got a, a bow and arrow and a hunting dog with her or sometimes a doe. Um, but, um, yeah, so namesake of the, and Artemisia has been around since, that since humans have been writing things down. And, uh, um, that's one of the things I love about it is like how romantic these, um, notions are like the, you know, distillation as like an ancient practice and these herbs as like, you know, ancient medicinals, like the, the oldest existing medical, um, document is the Ebers papyrus, um, uh, which was sort of like a, somebody wrote down all the, the remedies that they could find in ancient Egypt, and that's it still exists today. And it ha- uses Artemisia for all kinds of common ailments and stuff. But uh, 
there's also like peppermint that I grew in my own garden. So it's like, I feel like really connected to like humanity and eternity with this, like, you know, what you just popped open in this little bottle. It's really right. Wonderful. That's great. It's a great connection. Um, I'm sipping just a little, little tiny, tiny sip, uh-huh. um, undiluted. And it tastes like kind of the best possible sort of licorice stick candy, like the, the good ones that you get from like Germany. Right. Yeah. Really delicious and powerfully aromatic and super hot. By the way, on my palate. <laughs> yeah. Seventy percent. I would. One hundred forty proof. I'm telling you, like I said, I took, a, took an eyedropper sip out of the glass before I'm going to add some water and see how that changes everything. Um, but it's delicious. What, Thank what, you. What do you think over there, Greg? Oh, I love it. I mean, I, I, I was getting that peppery note, and I was trying to, as you were talking, figure out like what the hell is that? And it's interesting. Like I get, I'm not sure if it's just the psychosomatic association now where I'm like, ah, oh, yes, I taste the mint. But like that place is that like you, you isolated the pepper note of that really. Yeah. Nice and, and it's like, it's peppermint that's grown in my garden in Texas, which is really hot. And it's like, not going to be like the peppermint that you would get from a farm where they probably like didn't have it just blazing at 110 for the summer. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so what does that, what does like, that do to it? Does it, it make like, it... it's just like a little like stankier, you know, Ooh, nice. <laughs> um, I feel like stanky mint is a good name for a cocktail. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope you make that. Um, Already working on it. <laughs> all right. Good deal. Yeah, there's also cardamom and coriander and lemon yeah. balm and lime peel. I, I got to tell you, I'm getting all that stuff as soon as I've now luched with some water, mm-hmm. right? That cardamom jumps right up to the front. Like Those more savory notes are, are, are clear and present uh, once the luching has been added. Yeah. But it's, that's the thing I think that's so dangerous and romanticized, right? Certainly romantic, as you said, but also romanticized about absinthe. Like, when it's undiluted... Though hot, it tastes like candy. <laughs> yeah. And I want to drink a bunch of it until I get drunk enough to try and convince my friends that cutting off my ear and mailing it to my whore girlfriend is a good idea, like, <laughs> like, like Van Gogh did, right? Trust right? me, man. This is going to be Dude, awesome. I mean, it could have also been be the- rad. <laughs> you, will, d- d- you will go down in history. <laughs> Just don't eat your paints, okay? <laughs> um, I probably did a little bit of both. Uh so, you know, and that's the thing, I think, that, that how absinthe got such a bad name is that it's pretty easy to drink. And when phylloxera was coming through, knocking out grapes and brandy, absinthe was around. And I think people, infrastructure-wise, you know, you'd go to the farmhouse bar, there'd be tables and chairs and carafes and glasses, and you'd drink your four glasses of wine. And then wine was kind of gone all of a sudden. But absinthe was somewhat popular in Tony in the cities. Mm-hmm. So then you say, well, I'll just have some absinthe. But you'd still drink four glasses because that's what you'd normally drink, right? So now you've drank literally 50 times the ABV in the same <laughs> time. And you do dumb shit, like cut your ear off. <laughs> and then people vilify the absinthe. It wasn't the absinthe's fault. It was misuse, right? Yeah. Well, the, the analogy that I love using is like tryptophan and like a Thanksgiving turkey. is like, yes, like there is a chemical in turkey that's going to make you, you know, sleepy, but it's also in like ham and mushrooms and a bunch of other stuff. Like the reason that you're tired after Thanksgiving is dealing with your family. Yeah. Well, that. <laughs> and because you ate so much. Yeah. You yeah. just took down enough calories to feed like a village in the 1600s for a week. <laughs> yeah. Like it's the same thing with the, with, with absinthe. It's like, and still to this day, I know we're going to talk about this soon, but like of all the stuff that, of all the mystery that's come out of all the stuff on my back bar, people still look askance at the absinthe and they're just like, isn't that going to make me like, you know, go insane and paint myself green and run naked through the streets? I'm like, I mean, 
if you drink four glasses of it, maybe. I don't know. I can't guarantee yeah. I love telling diluted. people, uh, um, baby, if you want to trip balls, you should eat mushrooms. Yeah. <laughs> there are much faster ways to get to the same conclusion. <laughs> Uh, yeah, much, and there's more, more Thujone. Like Thujone was like cons- they thought it was the big baddie, uh, and there's more Thujone in Sage. But Sage isn't like I, if I have Sage in my um, Amaro or whatever, like the TTB is not going to make me test for that. Yeah. Even though there's a considerably more of the, of that compound in that herb, but. Um, you eat know. a bunch of mushrooms or just like you know sage <laughs> either that or it'd just be really mellow I don't also know. it's just it's like it does banana peel what, what show is this <laughs> some oregano in there <laughs> oh my god <laughs> so, so so let's back up just sure. a little bit you mentioned that your 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 sweetheart as you called him uh, and also your business partner in this endeavor is a, a microbiologist now isn't it it wasn't Ted Bro a microbiologist too yeah and he's the guy who who listen up folks and listen carefully He's the guy who stepped forward and made an absinthe and put it on the market and decriminalized absinthe around the world because he stood forward with science to back him up and said, there's not enough Thujone in absinthe to do anything hallucinogenic, right? Absolutely. And that was, um, uh, what was it? Lucid. Lucid absinthe. Yeah, he was. 2007. Fr- yeah. Yeah. So he 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 got um, pre-ban absinthe and modern-made absinthe and ran them through mass spec analysis. And like there's a limit of uh, 10 parts per million in the U.S. and I think it's 30 in the EU. Um, for like the allowable content of thujone in a worm, a product with wormwood in it. But like, if you properly make absinthe, thujone doesn't survive the distillation process. It's the, it's right. in the muck that we clean out of the still. Um, it's bitter and nasty and awful. <laughs> you don't. That's not. That's not what you want out of that. Um, and so he just proved that like the they didn't actually change the law. Um, they just realized that it didn't apply. Correct. The law still stands. You can't have that much. But the, what, what they realized with science is we never had that much in the first place. In properly made stuff, there are some right. brands that have like um, uh, more thujone added and stuff like that. And if you see that, you should skip that bottle <laughs> and move Maryland, along. Maryland Manson brand, maybe. Uh, oh, oh no, yeah, Manson. Manson no. uh, <laughs> actually like uh, is fairly well respected in the absinthe community. They were like, you know, I didn't expect that a celebrity would do a thing, but they actually did a pretty decent job of, of doing like a traditional recipe. Uh, it's really more of like stuff that came out of like the Czech Republic. Uh, starting in like the 1990s yep. when they started lighting things on fire and doing this like theatrical thing because what was in the bottle was basically like grain alcohol with green food coloring and they needed something else. To, they needed a story to sell it because it was just awful to drink. <laughs> yeah. Right. And I imagine wicked bitter. Right? Yeah. Um, so this is delicious. Thank the you. bottle is gorgeous. Um, and the the product inside is delicious and has a great story but you brought all these other bottles yeah well uh, you ha- what do you call them your booze babies my little booze babies yeah um so <laughs> uh so we the the next thing we did after the absinthe is the jasmine liqueur um we went through about 20 different teas and settled on a, a blend of a particular green and black jasmine tea it's got a little bit of orange for citrus note um and uh and it's basically just we make a giant pot of tea in the kettle of our still and Add sugar and booze, and it's got the you know, the floral notes and then that that tannic tea finish. Um, it's a pretty soft flavor. Um, I always started off as like we of course started off drinking absinthe, which is usually what I have people taste last. But um, if you if you care to, I do. Yeah, come on, kidding me? <laughs> my whole life is about is tasting I know alcohol. It's, a... <laughs> it's hard work. Someone's got to do it. Yeah, I knew the job was tough when I signed on. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody's got to do it. Um, yeah, so um, we had a. Uh, like you know, and that's crazy good. <laughs> Thanks. It, I mean, it just tastes like a, a glass of tea, and actually pretty sweet tea, which I enjoy as a as a southerner. Right on. Um, and then it's boozy. 
<laughs> yeah, it's 20% alcohol and 20% sugar, um, cane sugar. Um, so fa- fairly light, actually, for a liqueur. But um, uh, So sometimes, like, you, if you were going to use it in a, in a, um, a cocktail, you might have to add simple syrup in order for it to behave like other liqueurs would. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, it, it'll stand up to, to some pretty stat. Like, it, it makes an, a fun, like, scotch highball. You can do it with mezcal and things, but you have to use more of it so it, it doesn't disappear. It'll get swallowed up by citrus. You'll still get, like, the tea finish and the little floral in the nose, but, like, on the palate, it'll wash it out. It's very soft. What made you say to yourself, we're doing absinthe, now let's do tea? <laughs> well, uh, our distributor um, uh, in Texas uh, had a, a, a product not uh, unlike that, and um, they stopped making it. And he had a bunch of customers who were going to be very sad about that. And we said, well, I guess we're going to make a tea liqueur now. <laughs> <laughs> so there's you, a gap in the market. That's yeah, what I was about to say. You recognize the gap and you filled it up. That's, you know, that's just good business. Mm-hmm. Um, and how's it doing? How long has it been around? Um, we released it in like February. I guess it was actually hit the shelves in March of last year. So and um, got a year's worth of data. Yeah. Um, I mean, the way the Texas market works, I can't really see. Like, my distributor sells to um, uh, liquor stores, and then liquor stores sell to bars and restaurants. Right. So you, that's, that's right. I forgot about that. In Texas, you don't harder. know, as the maker, you don't know the end user. You don't know if it went to a bar or if it's on a menu. And it's hard to track down like who is actually like, like, Oh, well I couldn't get it from them or whatever. Like they, they say they've ordered it when the, the guy that I, then I'm like, they said they ordered it from you and they were having a tough time. Do I need to get you more? And they're like, Oh no, they never ordered it. Like I can never tell who's blowing smoke up my ass. (laughs) Right. Is is social media at all a useful tool for that? Do you ever like just go through and just see how many people have tagged like, Oh, just made this beautiful highball with this jasmine liqueur. Uh, it's mostly me doing that. <laughs> I just try to visit, you know, you know, we were in Texas, Louisiana, and we just got into Tennessee, and I basically re- rely on, um, uh, like, the people who I've, I usually am the one going and visiting an account and saying, hi, my name's Jessica, would you like to try my booze? And um, so, uh, frequently I'll get, like, messages from, like, the the manager at the, the place, hey, we put your, this cocktail on the menu, and then I can go in and try it and photograph it and stuff, but um, people aren't yet doing a whole like there's a lot of people at home bars that have uh, tagged us on social media and stuff but I think we're just so tiny and it's just so like I, our entire marketing budget is me walking around talking to people so like you know uh, the the biggest hurdle is just having people know that we exist um, so perhaps that will happen more but um, well perhaps just, that'll happen more now that you've uh, signed on with uh, LibDib right I'm really excited about that it's yeah talk about LibDib a little bit yeah I, so, I know it's not your business but you're dealing with them you know more about them than I do because yeah. I've just started seeing them and, and trying to deal with them too. So it's geared toward craft makers like us um, where like, you know, it's really hard for us to get in with a big enough distributor to kind of get into a market like say, oh, we New York. And um, and even if we did, then we would have to uh, deal with um, like our tiny amount of product. Like we might send like a pallet and then it's going to sit in a warehouse and and, and the, the the big distributor is going to say, sure, I'll get you a bottle of this esoteric little craft thing if you buy 10 of this other thing that I want you to uh, b- uh, get that you don't necessarily want, but that's the only way you're going to get the, the thing you do. Um, so we can sort of circumvent that whole thing. Um, it's uh, LibDib partnered with uh, RNDC, and so they're, everything goes through the three-tiered system. It's Everybody gets their cut. The taxes get paid at every level that it's supposed to. And uh, and the experience is that a, a, a you know liquor store or a, a bar program can just go on LibDib.com, look up a thing that they want to try, or you know, bring it to their bar and order it, and then like I drop ship directly to them, so they can order like a case at a time or a couple. Like our absinthe comes in uh, two bottle packs, 
So like easy for you to like not, not make a huge commitment to this like big you know thing that you, that's sort of unproven and whatnot. And you can also reach out to like, I, I'm looking forward to like every craft distiller that I know being on the, on the platform and being available, like, you know, anywhere that LibDiv operates. Which yeah. It seems like it's happening pretty fast. I'm getting a lot of more people coming to me and saying, uh, I'll say, well, are you available in my market? And they go, no, we're on LibDiv. We're on LibDiv. So mm-hmm. yeah. I think that's pretty great, especially for, for, you know, the more, as you said, craft or esoteric or, or just small production guys who want to be outside of their own market. Like, uh, really cool process. Yeah, we, I you, mean, we we always deal, knew you that. You deal with them at all at your bar? Libdib? No, I you, you never even heard of it? No. no yeah. I've only started hearing about it maybe six months. I mean, they announced the thing. Uh, like the, the, I read the article announcing the partnership with RNDC um, and them uh, in, like I think, November. And then we started working on our, our um, Empire State permitting. Um, but yeah, it's really exciting to, to, to have that um, available. Like, I'm, I'm just like, it's a game changer for us. And yeah, so wherever you are, look into LibDib. If you if you don't uh, if you don't have this or other products that we've talked about or, or other things you think you're interested in, go check out LibDib, and you may be able to get it delivered to your yeah in uh, California, New York, and Wisconsin uh, currently. Although they're looking to expand into other markets, I'm sure as soon as possible. Yeah, well, someone came to me from uh, Chicago, uh, so so maybe they're in Illinois too. Pretty interesting. Okay, more bottles on the bar. Let's, <laughs> yeah, let's yeah, look yeah. At those. Great, we have more things. So, um, so, so you did jasmine, then you moved into elderflower. Um, right. Ooh. So, uh, so the elderflower is, they're so cool. Like, um, uh, they grow wild in Texas. There's a place, um, outside of town that like, it's kind of hard to get to, but there's like this huge patch of it, um, growing out there. And, uh, the, um, uh, the flower is really, really fragrant and the berries are super colorful, but not particularly flavorful. And like, um, I don't know if I, I don't, I feel like this is not particularly common knowledge, but you take those clusters of of uh, flowers and fry them. They do um, elderflower fritters in in the UK. What? That's a thing that they do. Yeah, sure, like fried zucchini fritters, yeah. zucchini flowers stuffed with cheese or whatever. Yeah, wow. I'm really looking forward to to doing a little elderflower. You can't harvest stuff this it summer. with cheese and fry it. It's probably not worth eating. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right. <laughs> um, but yeah, so like the you know the the um, the flower like that fragrance is really like round and soft and juicy. It's like very tropical fruit and like. People talk again about like the hard candy uh, flavor, but um, but like I don't know why nobody's ever done one with a little. So it's it's a for for those of you listening at home, uh, it's like a bright magenta. It's it's super pink, and that's only three percent juice, and it doesn't affect the flavor at all. We actually extensively blind tasted, and it tastes exactly the same if it's honey yellow. You're in the studio with two colorblind people, so we're just gonna have to take your word for it. And so will everyone at home. You're getting the same experience as that that we have. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah. So that's that's a it's a very bright color, and who doesn't love a pink drink? Well, I don't know. I guess not the colorblind guys, but <laughs> I assume I probably do. I, I, think I, I think I love them. <laughs> as far as I know, I love them. Wow, this is delicious as well. Mm, can not, really taste the pink. Not. <laughs> it's, it's not uh, not what I expected. You know, when you say elderflower, I think you know there's a brand I think of right away, um, and this is not that. Uh, it's not so syrupy sweet. It's not so um, perfumey floral. It's floral, but it's not like a perfume for you know. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's got a little bit more of an aggressive tang to it, which is nice. Like it's yeah. Well, it's ten percent it lemon. Wild. Yeah, so ten uh, percent mm. lemon, um, and and then just like fl- it's flower essence, lemon, um, uh, the elderberry juice for color, and it's thirty percent sugar, which again is fairly low for a uh, liqueur, and then yeah, and then booze. Just good old, good old gray neutral. 
Good old green neutral. Mm-hmm. Mm. So jasmine and elderflower. So you're knocking out some flower, or some flowers and some tea. Mm-hmm. And then, dun dun dun, <laughs> midnight Money. marigold, another flower, bitter cordial. So you're making it tomorrow. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, we uh, we uh, we were approached by the Austin, the the somewhat well known, although I guess nobody in New York knows anything outside of New York. Bullshit. Nobody knows. We all, we all <laughs> I've know talked about, to so many of your bartenders. We all know about Midnight Cowboy. What's his name over there? Bill. Bill uh, Norris. Bill yeah. Norris. I know him. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Well, I, I expect you to know these things, but oh, I, come I, on. I I went through your city and I was like Midnight Cowboy, and they're like, I never heard of it. I was like, you are missing out. So they... Um, well, Brian Floyd worked there for a while. Yeah. Yeah, man, I know this. Exactly. It's my job to keep up on this. That's how I get the radio thing. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so yeah, they approached us. Um, uh, so uh, Ryan Ehrlichman and, and uh, Tacey Rowland, who are uh, the, the um, assistant and uh, general manager, respectively. Um, uh, Ryan was had this sort of idea for this thing, and, and we just started collaborating. They, 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 they said, let's do turmeric and marigold and and ginger and so um we 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 initially tried this with um like honeysuckle in it and then it just tasted like soap but uh <laughs> um which is sometimes what people think about the jasmine some people are like that 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 tastes like my grandma's perfume i can't do it uh but the midnight marigold is turmeric marigold ginger caraway coriander wormwood and kina this is delightful um, floral Damn, up good. front, yeah, yeah. <laughs> floral up front, and then yeah, again, so a little bit savory notes, kind of towards the middle, and then man, it's still a lingering bitter finish, drying out the back of my tongue. Earthy, very earthy. Yeah, mm. earthy, cool. but with a hint of spice on there too. It's not. It kind of it reminds me of. Um, I'm gonna go beer nerd here, but there's a, a, a type of noble hop from the Czech Republic called Saz, which is like. It's it's in Pilsner Kell is the most famous beer that it's in, but it's like dirt with a little bit of spice on there. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those things where like if I have it on, uh, people will be like you know asking what Pilsners I have, and I'll be like, hey, do you how do you feel about dirt? It's one of those very <laughs> dividing things. People either be like that sounds disgusting, or like yes, I'm in, I want that. <laughs> well, it's even even that the aroma of you know the marigold flower aroma that you get there is. It's like very like I don't know. That's a smell I associate with being around, like a, a barn or a farm. Yeah. You know? mm. The marigolds growing right next to the where the chickens are being fed. You know. Yeah, it's very yeah. It's not it's not all just mulch viewers at home. <laughs> yeah. It's 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 uh it's the whole it's the whole thing. It's like a very um. Yeah, like you said, like it's very like pastoral. It's kind of like you know, it's like standing in front of a, a barn at like. Eight in the morning, an hour after the sun has come up, you get that nice like flower thing on there. Mm-hmm. You can kind of smell the earth. It's good. Yeah, flour and chicken food. You know, mm-hmm. grains. I don't know. It smells great. Tastes great. Um, can't wait to dig in and really uh, investigate this one. You know, I I try to reserve my opinions uh, on things um, uh, for beyond a single taste. You know, I, um, I I try and muscle through an entire bottle of something before I really give an opinion because I feel like it's unfair to the to the thing or to the people who are willing to listen to me about my opinions if I just pop off an opinion right away. But I'll, I'll say this right away. It's, it's delicious, and I've already gone back to my glass twice, and I want to keep drinking it. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> yeah. I'm, 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 I'm delighted that you, uh, that you find it so delicious. I'm, um, I'm, I'm quite proud of how all the things have turned out. Um, and, uh, we're, you know, 
we'll always be working on new stuff, but um, but, you know, that's that's that actually, this is the um, these two bottles are the only ones currently in existence. This is a little test batch, and actually, these labels I hand cut off of the like sample sheet that our sticker, um, uh, a sticker giant does our, our, our liqueur labels and they sent us those like just before I came to town. So, um, but we'll be bottling and, and doing a, the, our first big run of this, uh, prior to our opening, uh, at, we'll do a little party at midnight cowboy on April 22nd. I think that's right the on. Monday. And then, uh, and then about then it should be up on LibDib. It's, it's showing up a little later because it was getting, uh, well, cause you didn't even have the labels made yet. Yeah. <laughs> So it'll it'll show up soon. <laughs> Is there some government delay earlier this year or something? Uh, oh, yeah. um, you know. <laughs> yeah. Oh. You know what's, what was great actually is uh, when they came back online, they were like okay, so we were normally about two weeks on a turnaround. It's going to be about twice that. And then they got to us in three. So like, I was pretty impressed that they, they swung back through, but I'm sure that they were just, that's the under promise over deliver rule though. Oh, yeah. they, Tell them it's going to be four have, weeks and they'll be stoked when it's three. They have never done that before. It has always <laughs> been very, very bad. Did I mention that it was 22 months between when we started our, our uh, permitting process and when we sold our first bottle? Cause, wow. cause that's a real thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, Jessica Lee Graves, tell tell me tell me in my audience how they can get in touch with you or how they can find you. You got an Instagram you want to pimp out. You got a website. What you got? Yeah, so um, violetcrownspirits.com at violetcrownspirits on Instagram. I think it's Violet Crown ATX on Twitter, uh, and I'm Jessica Lee Graves on Facebook. Like you can you could anything that says Violet Crown Spirits on it is it goes straight to my phone. So holler y'all. <laughs> nice. Uh, and man, really, really appreciate you coming out and bringing us all these cool things. I met you down at, uh, where did I meet? It was in Texas, right? Well, the first time I met you was actually at the USBG National Leadership Conference in Detroit in 2017. Correct. Uh, but it was like for like that long. Yeah. And then, uh, and then it was at the Sasha Petrosky toast at, at Bohannon's this year. Right. Uh, down at, uh, um, what the hell is San it Antonio Cocktail there Conference. There San Antonio Cocktail yeah. Conference. And I go to so many of these things, I can't keep the names straight anymore. Um, well, I'm super glad I ran into you both times. Certainly the, the time where I said, come to New York and come be on the show. I'm really excited about your products. I'm stoked to reach out to LiveDiv and, and pick them up. Uh, I encourage my uh, listeners to do the same. Uh, so, uh, and Greg, certainly great to have you in the studio. Join us anytime. Any Pleasure win- to be here. Any Cheers, win- fellas. Any Wednesday you time. have free. Yeah. <laughs> Cheers, guys. Thanks so much for listening uh, to the Speakeasy, and we'll see you next week. Ciao. Cheers. Don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul. Want more of the Speakeasy? Follow us and ask questions on Instagram at Speakeasy Podcast or on Twitter at Speakeasy Radio. You can find Damon at Damon Bolte, and you can find me at Creative Drunk on all platforms. Take a moment to write us a review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite platform and give us a star rating, five if possible. If you're visiting New York City or a resident, stop by the studio and hang out with us during an episode. Reach out beforehand to make sure we'll be here. We'd love to see you. And please support our show by visiting heritageradionetwork.org and clicking on the beating heart to donate.